Amen. If you're ready for some word today, go ahead and, and get out your Bible or your Bible app on your phone and turn with me to the book of Psalms and chapter 27. The 27th Psalm. And we just have a, a few weeks, counting today, four Sundays before Resurrection Day. And so we got four days to get ready, four weeks, four times like this to get ready for it. Can I help you get ready? It's a big day, you know. You get ready for big days. You prepare for a big event. Didn't you kind of prepare for your wedding if you're married? If you're going to get married and it's like a year from now, you're probably already planning, right? Psalm 27 in verse 4 David writes here, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Now, whenever you see someone of knowledge, someone of reputation, and they boil down their desires, their wants to one thing... You should take note. You should say, what? One thing? I can think of 20 things that I want from the Lord. <laughs> I have a whole list. And certainly this might be in there. But, but David said, no, no, no. I just want this. It makes me wonder, what did David know? What had he seen? What was his previous experience with God in, in his presence, in his house, where he could boil everything down and say, well, compared to everything else that's going on in life, compared to everything, any, any natural, you know, enjoyable experience or, or material good or thing, I'm going to say, I set all that aside and I just want this one thing. You have some kind of revelation of that one thing to be able to say that. And it makes me take note because if ever we find ourselves wanting other things equal to or even more than what is listed here, what is stated here, then we have a warped experience or a lack of experience and non-understanding of something that will entirely captivate our attention and overwhelm our being and our livelihood when we have it. I believe the Lord can show himself to an individual in such a way, and it probably it wouldn't take much, in such a way where everything else pales in comparison. And the person that, that, that has comparable interests in their life to the house of God has not really experienced God in, his, in the way that he wants to be known. David said, one thing have I desired from the Lord. And then he talks about the house of the Lord. He mentions his temple. This is the Old Testament house or temple, okay? God's presence was limited in that covenant to certain places, locations. Uh, in, in, in the New Testament, the new covenant, since Jesus was raised from the dead, now the presence of God abides on the inside of all believers. And, and not only that, the presence of God, God himself indwells us individually and corporately. Okay, there's, there's a real double truth here. He's in you, he's in me, and he's in us. 
I don't ever want to sacrifice the us just for the individual. Some people miss it in that regard these days. Well, God's with me wherever I go. Okay, fine, yeah. But he's also with us, and you don't want to miss that component. Okay? It's the corporate move and manifestation of his spirit. Our gathering today, then, this being one example or manifestation of that, is the counterpart to what David is saying here, the house of the Lord or his temple. This is our outworking of that very same thing. Okay, So we get together, we meet for worship and serving and, and teaching and giving and fellowship and, of course, the, 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 the corporate move and manifestation of the Spirit. It's why we get together, Right? This is something that when done properly in accordance with God's will becomes the thing that we want from God more than anything else. Because in this atmosphere, in this place, we are able to inquire, to behold his beauty, and it produces in us something that nothing else does. Okay. Now the early church, in the book of Acts, they, they met frequently, all right? They, they went to church much more than we do. Let's say it that way. When, they, when things first got started, they got together as much as possible, not as little as possible. They weren't saying, how often do I have to go <laughs> and still maintain my relationship with God and still kind of be okay? They weren't asking that question. They were saying, how much can we? Can we go more? Can we get together more frequently? We should have that same mentality ourselves. Now, now flip over to the 84th Psalm. If you know how to count, that would be to your right. 84 is after 27. I don't know how they teach that in Common Core. It's probably a complex formula. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another thought for another day. Uh, Psalm 84, and notice with me, verse 4. It reads, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Selah. Pause and think about that for a moment. Blessed are those who do what? They dwell in your house. They, they, they dwell. How many know that's different than visiting? That's different than occasionally, once in a while, uh, going to the house. He says they, the blessed people are those who dwell there. They live there. They remain. They abide. This is, this is, is a constant in, in their lives. Um, they, 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 according to this verse, will still be praising you. Why will they still be praising you? Well, apparently, what happens when they make the Lord's house their dwelling place is the, the, the results of that give them reason to praise God. If someone dwells in the house, they're going to say, praise God. They're going to frequently say, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Why would you say that? Well, you wouldn't say that if everything was bad. 
except for by faith. You know what I'm talking about. But as a typical, you don't respond to the negative with hallelujah, unless you're a sarcastic, you know, liar. <laughs> but, it, but, but you would typically say, praise God. You know, if someone comes to me and they say, yeah, I have this disease, I don't say, well, praise God. <laughs> Unless I'm, you know, speaking about the future, we're going to see a healing, I might do that. But, but you would, that would be negative. Why would someone still be praising? Because the results of this connectivity to God's dwelling place, God's house, is that we would continue to praise. Those who don't remain then, the opposite would have to be the case. Those who don't remain in the house, they complain. They have, why do they complain? Well, they have good reason to. Because what God intended to happen while they were there planted in that place is not happening in their lives. And so they have gripable things going on in their life. They have complaints. Which side do we want to be on? I mean, we should resist just knowing this. This is all we knew. We should resist every temptation to be inconsistent. Because the enemy tempts people in all kinds of ways. It's not just he tempts you to lie and cheat and steal or something selfish. He tempts us to disconnect from any part of what God's plan is and his ways. Trying to say it's not important, it's not going to make a difference, you've got other things going on, and sometimes give you scriptures. Right? The devil knows how to twist scriptures. Yeah. But he's all, all is for the purpose of our discon, disconnection so that we don't have the end result of glory to God. Praise God. He's working. He is moving in my life. Let me say it this way. If we cut off a constant supply of the, of the word and the spirit of God and the blessing of God's house in our lives, we will have less reason to praise and more reason to complain. The more we disconnect from the Lord's house, the more the enemy has an opportunity to lie to us. Okay, you know that's a strategy. He can get, don't, don't think I can never be deceived. Any of us can be deceived, right? So we, we need to take proactive steps so that we recognize what's right and wrong. We put ourselves in a position to where we stay healthy, strong, mentally alert, spiritually discerning, so we can see that's a lie, that thought's not true, because he'll lie to you about other people, what they're saying, what they're thinking. He'll lie to you about the source of your problems. When people disconnect from the Lord's house, they have trouble, and then they quickly learn how to misplace the blame. Okay. Has anybody seen that lately in our country? <laughs> M- misplaced blame. That can, listen, that can happen to anyone who stays out of church, whether you're a president, whether you're a, you know, whether you're a plumber, whether you're, right? Misplaced. This is the cause. This is the reason why I hurt. This is the reason why I don't, why I have lack. This is the reason why my family, and it'll be a misplacement unless we're dwelling in the house and the constant flow of God's word and spirit enables us to clearly think and clearly see. We need this blessing. I can see why David said, this is all I need. Forget everything else. If I can just have this, if I could dwell in your house, behold your beauty, the rest of life's going to be a breeze. 
Yeah. And so when, uh, when people forget about the miracles, when they forget about the move of God, they no longer can remember the times that God spoke to them. It's a good sign that they have disconnected from this dwelling place. Listen to this same verse, Psalm 84, 4, from the CEB. It reads, those who live in your house are truly happy. They praise you constantly. I don't think there'd be any of us that would say, you know, I don't really want to be happy. <laughs> we just sometimes think our happiness is, is, is sourced from something else. I think I'll be connected to X. If I sleep in, I'll be happy. If I play golf instead of church, I'll be happy. Or whatever. There's a myriad of things that we could put in the place. And we think that's where our happiness is found. David had the, had the glimpse. He had the understanding. He said, no, I know this. If I can stay there, I'm happy. I'm a happy camper. So if I just lived in Hawaii, I'd be happy. Maybe for a week. <laughs> then you'd wake up one day, look in the mirror, and there you'd be. <laughs> and you'd realize no matter what your surroundings are, if you don't find your comfort, your satisfaction, your fulfillment in God and His working and activity, uh, then you're just not going to get it permanently from any other source. Amen. I think we're going to speak of these times uh, in the Lord for a long time. In, in heaven. And we're going to see the value of what we're doing now. Remember when? Remember when we were meeting together? Remember when we sang that new throne room song? Man, that was good. Remember those healings? Remember those miracles? Remember those, all those people getting saved? We were a part of that. Just week after week, we saw thousands of people getting saved. We'll talk about it in eternity. Because these things will matter more than everything else. Um. Look at the 10th verse, if you would there, Psalm 84, 10. He goes on to say, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. Now the implication is a thousand out of your courts, away from you. One day, one day here. If I could have one day here, that'd be better than a thousand doing anything else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And so here's the proper view we should see being a part of God's activity, part of his house, is a great honor and an extreme blessing. Let's not let our, our mentality towards this activity dip below that. Privilege, honor, great blessing. Oh, we get to be a part of what God is doing in the last days right before Jesus comes back. This is the proper mentality, not, uh, you know, I have to go to church again. I mean, no, we should have a mentality of a get to, not a have to. If you're here today with a have to, just chill. We'll, hopefully we can turn that around for you. We understand lots of people come initially with a have to, meaning someone met, made them, pressured them, and... Uh, and often things turn around really quickly in their lives. So I get that, but you don't want to live there. I mean, who wants to, what a pathetic life. Here I go, doing my duty, just doing my religious obligation, 
dragging myself to that building again where they want my money and, <laughs> and the people aren't really that nice. And <laughs> well, that's not the way we are here anyway, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that, that, that's, I don't want to live that. I don't think God's into that. There's a different purpose of, to, to what he is doing. Amen? And we are a part of a genuine work of God. Right. Watch. Even if the, the outworking or implementation of what we're doing is imperfect because God uses human vessels, that doesn't take away from the fact that what we are doing is his design. It's his, uh, it's his plan. And it's how he gets his blessings into people to such a high degree that when they leave, they're praising him. Not just when they come, they're praising him. Oh, here's a good song. I feel that one. When they leave, they praise him on Monday. If what happens on Sunday doesn't get you to praise God on Monday, we're either not doing it right. I mean, maybe the, either the leadership is not doing it right or you're not participating. I'm open to both, you know what I'm saying? I want to be yielded to the Lord. But what we're doing here is supposed to, according to the Word, cause us to praise God on Monday. Well, the world is griping about Monday. It feels like Friday to us. Okay, so what is God's way of doing church? I, I, I want to make sure that what we are doing is what he had in mind when he told us to get together a lot. Especially towards the end, end of when Jesus is coming back, he said get together a lot. I want to make sure that what we're doing is, is done correctly so that in part, part of the reason is, is when people come here that don't know what I'm saying now, they haven't walked with the Lord, and they're coming in, some of you are like that today, we understand, and they're coming in here and they're just observing they're checking it out, maybe even a little bit skeptical, critical of what's going on. But they have such an experience by watching, observing the rest of us and our experience with God that they decide, I would be better off going here again than to do what I normally do. Amen. That if, you know, if any given service is, say, like 90% regular church members, 10%, people checking it out, visiting there for other reasons, that the 10% would be so impacted by the 90% and their personal experience with God that it would flood the atmosphere and they would say, I'm done with whatever I was doing before. I see the value in this. I see this is life changing. This is so good. I, I want our church. Now, if you're visiting with us, you don't need to listen to this part. Uh, for those of us who are, we're family already, I think we can step up our game and have an approach to what we do that makes this so good, people can hardly stand it. <laughs> that makes it so good that people will be inconvenienced. They'll go out of their way. They'll rearrange their vacation. They'll, they'll, they'll do whatever they need to do. They'll ask for a new work schedule. They, 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 will, they, they will give up some things in life because they say, that is where I've got to be. And it's so tangible that the blessing of God in their lives, they can see the connection. When I do this, I'm better. I'm a better spouse. I'm a better parent. I, I, my money is better. My health is better. I'm in a better mood. Do we think that's possible? That's what God intended. This is what he has in mind. 
So when I ask, are we doing this right? I partially am looking to uh, the outcome. Well, what's it producing in our lives? Okay, how, how, is, how is this supposed to look? How can we know um, if what we're doing is, is really of God and not just repeating man-made customs? I mean, how would we know if we're not just being religious? And it, we've separated. They did in Jesus' day. The religious people there, they added all their customs and they elevated, abo- elevated it above the Word of God. So we, could, we potentially could do that. And to be mindful of it, I think, is, is wisdom. But we need to distinguish between what's essential and non-essential. Okay? Not like how the government a couple of years ago did that. <laughs> you remember when they said, bars are essential, churches are not. Especially in some, some states, right? I mean, that kind of thing, but not like that. <laughs> When we get together and we have church and we have services and we do outreach and we do all the things that we do, how can we determine what do we have to do and what is something we may want to do, we may like it, but it's not a thus saith the Lord. Okay, If we can distinguish between those two, I think it'll help us to, to stay on, on the right track. What is our preference and what is definitely um, a have to um, issue? Okay. Are we to have church just like they did in the book of Acts, for example? When you read about the early church in the book of Acts and you see how they did, are we supposed to model that? Some would be quick to say, absolutely, 100%. I would say, not 100%. (laughs) We are to model the move of the Spirit, the principles, the Word of God, those things. But their methods were unique to the to, to the way things were in that time. For example, uh, the church then didn't have buildings. Why didn't they have buildings? Because yesterday they weren't a church. <laughs> there was no church. They, they didn't have time for a building fund. <laughs> they, when they, all of a sudden people are getting saved, filled with the Spirit, getting baptized in water, and then they're just, where do we go? Right? So they would meet in homes. They would try to use the synagogues. They would do whatever they could. But over time... Of course, they got places where they could meet. In the early church, when things first began, I mean, no, they didn't even have pastors. Well, where would you get them? Even when they started evangelizing new, new areas and Paul would go out to different places and, and he'd preach and win lots of people and start making disciples, there weren't any pastors there. You, uh, so what did they do? Well, he would say, uh, hey, you and you and you, could you run this thing for a while? Basically... Sorry for the next analogy. They would take older people <laughs> who are mature and they would, they would kind of run churches. They didn't have a call of God or a ministry gift because it took time for those ministry gifts to come forward. So we're not exactly like they were in, in the early church. Um, but the main things, the principles, the, the gospel and so forth is exactly the same. When we do church today, um, we should be able to distinguish that things like music, music is of God. The style of music continues to change. I don't want to make a style holy and say this beat is holy. (laughs) This instrument, that's the one God loves. (laughs) Those things change with cultures, things like, you know, our decor and lighting, the length of time that we sing or worship, the length of the time that I speak. I mean, no, that's all subjective. 
we don't have a chapter and verse on, on those kind of things. We shouldn't elevate all these secondary issues and make them a, a thus saith the Lord. Uh, it seems common that many, that many times people, they attribute the way things were when they got saved or they had some grand experience in God to being the way that God moves. In other words, the type of music that was sang, uh, then they think forevermore, that's what God really loves the most. Why? Because that's the way it was when you got saved. Or, you know, or different other uh, styles and different types of things and how people dressed and how people did different. They make those secondary issues holy. Those are not to be um, what we hold to. We hold to the word, the gospel, the Lord Jesus himself. We hold to his love and the moving of his spirit. But um, uh, we're we're not going to go Jesus light for anyone's preference. There's some things you're just not taken out, not taken out, out, out the Lord Jesus. Is it ever right to sacrifice a preference because of something greater? Would all of us be open to that? I like, I prefer, you hear... Let me just be straight with you. You hear the most carnal people magnifying those things. The most carnal, that's fleshy, they always magnify secondary issues, and it's not so much about whether God's word is, is happening, the move of the Spirit, salvations, and so forth. It's I like, I prefer, and they magnify these other issues. I, I, I remember when I first went to uh, Bible school in Oklahoma, uh, in 1987, uh, I made some friends right away. One of them, I, I, we got to know each other. I was, I, I'd ride in his car. We'd go places. And I jumped in his car, and he pushes in this cassette. Remember those? Yeah. And, uh, and, and the music playing, I'm just like, my, I'm just shocked by it. Like, ah, uh, what is this music I hear? It was a group that was called the Rama Singers and Band. Okay? They were a part of the ministry there. And it was worship stuff, praise stuff. But uh, I just didn't, I hadn't been around that. I hadn't been around that style. Yes, the word I loved, and I was pursuing God. But I'm like, uh, you like this? <laughs> like, you, you push play <laughs> for this? And I was used to some other things. Uh, and I was shocked, but you know what happened with me? Is over a, a short period of time, I was pushing that cassette in. <laughs> what, what, say, what happened? Here's what happened. I adapted to something that wasn't my natural bent, if you will, for preference because of the spirit. Not to say that God was all over that style more than something else. That's not true. But God was using them. He was using that style, and he sent me there. So I'm adapting me to love that. And there was, there was me, a 20-year-old, following this guy who was, I forget how old he was then. Brother Hagen was always way, he was always old. <laughs> this old guy, relatively, he gets younger and younger the older I get. <laughs> But follow and just hanging on every word, not of someone who was my age and my contemporary who was cool. Come on. Someone who wore three-piece suits, but he was bringing the word and the spirit. I got to see, this is God. This other stuff doesn't matter. I'm adapting. I'm going to adjust. 
Because the word of God, the move of God, is worth it to me. Amen. 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 Paul wrote to Timothy and, and said, uh, 1 Timothy 3.15, he said, but, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the house of God is the church, same thing. We could say, today I went to the house of God. And we're not referring to the building. Right? The house of God is the church. Paul saying, Timothy, I'm writing so you know how to conduct yourself. How, should we give any thought to maybe how we do church? P- personally. Individually. Is it possible to do church wrong? Where you checked the box and said, went to church today, boom, I'm spiritual. <laughs> Tight with the Lord. But maybe you did church wrong. Maybe that very motive was wrong. If there's there's a right way to conduct yourself, there must be a wrong way. If I break this down, I would say there there are right and wrong attitudes to have. And there's right and wrong conduct, actions. Uh, that we can have. Attitudes are, we should come in faith. We should come with a great expectation. We should come with humility. That's open, not proud, but we're here to adapt, learn, grow, change, be molded into his likeness. Uh, We should come with an attitude of cooperation. We're working with each other, right? We're a team, we're family. We should come with an attitude uh, of support, of commitment, There's a proper mentality to have in doing church, in being a part of the work of God. And then there's, of course, what we do. What we do that we ought to do, what we don't do, maybe that we ought to do. These things uh, contribute to doing church in a proper way. Now, I'm not going to give you all that stuff today because I've used up almost all my time. Um, But I was reading one day about the crowds that Jesus would attract, and he would go and multitudes would come. And this particular verse stood out, Luke chapter 6 and verse 17, says, when he came down with them and stood on a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases... And I'm asking the question, why did they go? Why did they come to Jesus' church that day? Here's why they came. They came to hear. And they came to be healed. You know what happened when they got there? They heard. And they were healed. And I wonder sometimes if we, if we do church out of habit, out of ritual, and we don't even give it a second thought about why we're going. I'm going there. Well, why are you? Well, because it's Sunday. But what are you going there for? Are you going there to get something? Are you going with an expectation that while I'm there, God is going to speak to me, move in my life? Maybe you have a particular need. And I'm going, and he's going to meet that need. How many testimonies have we heard over the years of people saying, I decided to go, and I wasn't going to leave until I got my healing. And then they got healed. It's when people are committed to that outcome, and they're going for a purpose. And it doesn't all have to be selfish. I'm going there, so someone else is going to get it. 
I'm going there because another person is about to experience God and I'm going to be a part of that. I mean, a church, coming to church is not about merit. I'm a good person because I went. I'm better than someone else because I went and they didn't go. It's about giving and receiving. Where do I go? I want to help someone else. I'm going to give. I'm going to bless. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to do something for another person. And I'm going to get something. I'm going to hear from God. He's going to work in my life. I'm going there because it's a blessed house. There is a blessing on the house of the Lord. And I know it is just smart to associate with it. A smart person will say, if I want blessed in my family and in my finances, on my job and everywhere I go, I am going to go around where the blessing is made manifest. And this is God's choice. He really decided to do it this way. There is something about having an expectation for God to work that determines how much God works. Have we found out that the degree of the move of God is not solely tied to the will of God? Well, here's what I mean. Well, if God wants to do it, then I guess he'll do it. That is so unbiblical and disconnects us from any responsibility to believe anything. Our expectation increases God's activity in us and towards us. It also increases the activity in the in the people around us. Like I said, the 90-10, if the 90 came doing it right, the 10 gets swept up. They get caught up. What happened here? Well, you got around some pretty awesome people and they had a personal experience with God and you happened to be too close. Yeah. Can I tell you? Now, don't run away. If you're new here, you're in danger. You could, you could end up being so happy you can't stand it. <laughs> you could end up being so... We're not here to knock you down. We're here to lift you up. But I tell you, there's some people who come here with a great expectation that God's going to move. Bodies will be healed. Lives will be changed. The Spirit of God will manifest in our midst. And you're going to get influenced by it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> what we want to have... Let me try to finish. Everybody Okay is a spiritual mind concerning this, what seems like a natural activity. It's like when Paul told people, you're not fighting with flesh and blood, not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and other wicked spirits. He said, you think your battle is physical, it's spiritual. We should know that. We should know this when it comes to church. It is not, it is not just a natural activity we're involved with. We're intersecting with the very plan and purpose of God, God himself. When I was uh, first starting in ministry, one of my grandpas, they're all passed on now, but one of my grandparents was very happy that his grandson was a preacher. And I was barely a preacher in the, <laughs> in the beginning, but he was very happy about that, him being a believer himself. But the kind of church they were a part of was very, very different from what we are, very denominational and old style and so forth, which fine, fine. Uh, but he would come, whenever he would be around me, which was not a lot, they lived in California, so forth. But, uh, and he got to hear me speak, his, his response to me would be, now it was from a heart and genuine, he would say, that was a very good speech. <laughs> There's a part of me that, would, that wanted to go, Bleh. 
speech? I wouldn't do this out of respect and knowing his heart. That's just the culture they were a part of. I gave a good speech. <laughs> you know how much I prayed? You know how much I sought the Lord and went into the Word and got a revelation from God to minister freedom to people and you just called it a speech? <laughs> that seems like a politician or nightmares of high school. <laughs> a speech. <laughs> But I understand. But there was a real natural interpretation of what I consider to be far more than I'm a speaker, a spe I give a talk. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how many know a worship leader is different than a song leader? What we do should always have a spiritual revelation component. It's, it, that's what we seek. A good singer doesn't set the captive free doesn't lead someone into the throne of God, but someone anointed by the Spirit singing with an unction. Come on. Come on. And doing someone speaking, not just articulating nice words, but with a message, with a word from heaven that will cause the captives to be set free. Demons go flying out. We need to recognize the spiritual component in all we do. Church is a God thing. The gathering of his people is supposed to be an expansion, a magnification of his blessing into every person's life. And the enemy will fight people with everything he can, from virus to government regulation to I'm tired and I'm sleepy or I'm busy to get people to disconnect because they are also separating themselves from God's highest and best blessing. Praise God. Well, that's a nice place over there. They got a nice building and the music sounds good. And, and uh, well, I want to have a nice building and I want the music to sound good, but I want God to be made manifest in our midst. One day Jesus was ministering and, and, and the scripture says about it that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Heal who? them. The end of that story is one person got healed. The rest were going, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> who is this guy who says he can forgive sins? And, and uh, they're just griping and complaining and picking everything apart. The power of the Lord was present to heal all of them, but only one person got it. I think if we have the proper mentality, mindset about what we're doing, we're not just going to get one healed. <laughs> Everybody gets it because he's present to work in every one of our lives. Yes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. We just, like I said, let's be done today. Uh, like I said, uh, Resurrection Day is just four Sundays away. And my, my heart, my desire, believe I'm led of the Lord to speak to you about these things. I think we can all take, the, take it up just a notch. So we do church right our attitudes, our actions, to where, because that's the, why, why, why are we tying this to Resurrection Day? Because that's when more people go to church than ever. And I want God to get on them. I want God, and, and we are the only Jesus some people will ever see. So we up our game together, and here they come in contact with the almighty power of God. Amen, amen. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for working in us now.
hey, by your spirit, by your mighty power, you, you energize, you ignite a fire inside of each and every one of us to recognize the spiritual value and components, the aspect of what you are doing here individually and corporately. Help us to see it, Lord, your vision, your purpose and your plan, the divine move and manifestation of you yourself that causes all of us to praise you continually. Thank you for working in us today mightily, mightily. You are at work in us today. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor and all the thanks in the wonderful name of Jesus. The wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. We give you all the praise. Thank you for it. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.